In the name of Jesus Christ, who has pleased the Heavenly Father in every way, so that through faith you and I are pleasing to our Father as well, my dear friends. Today we're going to focus our attention once again on Paul's letter to the Christians in a city called Colossae under the theme, Complete in Christ. And we'll see that there are many deceivers in this world who have as their goal to lure us away from Jesus Christ to our own spiritual deaths. And deception is, is everywhere around us. Sometimes deception can be fun, right? For example, an illusionist, or sometimes called a magician, it can be fun to watch them make their assistant seemingly disappear, right? Or, or pull a quarter out from behind her ear. But other deceptions are not so fun. In fact, uh, they can be pretty nasty. Uh, you hear of elderly sometimes being taken advantage of and deceived, and they become penniless, and they have no place to stay. Or you hear of others getting sucked into some kind of uh, dietary fad that ends up harming their health. Okay? So de deceivers are out there, and sometimes deception can even be deadly. We see that even in creation. I'm going to show you a fish called an angler fish. Okay? Angler fish were created by God so that they have the ability to adapt their color so they can camouflage themselves. Okay? But then they also have something else. There, there are about 200 species of, of anglerfish, but they have been, have been given by God this special little attachment to their head that hangs down in front of their mouth. This one lights up because this is a deep sea type of anglerfish, but others will have something that comes out from the top of their head that looks like a worm. And so they'll hide themselves in among the coral or among the rocks, and then they'll waggle that little worm-like attachment right in front of their mouth. And another fish sees that and thinks, oh, this is going to be an easy lunch for me. It comes swimming up and whoosh, it becomes the easy lunch. A deadly deception. And that's the very kind of deception, the kind of spiritual deception that the Apostle Paul was warning the Christians in Colossae about and that he warns us about through his same letter to them as well. Like the anglerfish, Satan likes to camouflage himself. He likes to camouflage himself um, in a way so that we are unsuspecting that he's there and that he's really about to swallow us up and destroy us. And uh, he does this, as Paul says, through the basic principles of this world. And so what the, the devil does is he dangles in front of us this idea that we're, there's still something better for us to have. There's something unfulfilled in your life. There's something more than, that you need than Jesus. And if you just had that, then you would have security. Then you would have peace in your life. But that is a deadly, deadly deception. And that is why Paul warns, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of the world, rather than on Christ. So he speaks of hollow and deceptive philosophy. Those things that promise to give you something, but in the end give you nothing. And he tells us that there are two categories of them. Uh, those that depend on human tradition and those that depend on the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And I will just call that the mindset of the world. And so what are some specific examples of Satan using this kind of bait? Well, let's start with the kind of bait that he was using among the Colossians at that time. 
Um, Satan was camouflaging himself within the law of God. There were Jews in the early Christian congregations who grew up with the various restrictions that God had given them. Okay, you can't do any work on Sabbath. There's foods you can't eat. And then there's these rituals that you need to follow for washing and purification. Now, God had good reasons for giving those commandments in the first place. So if you think of the Sabbath law, That was given by God to remind his people, there's one day out of the week where you put aside all of the work that you do for yourself, all the work you do for me. You just do nothing. And on this day, we're going to gather together for sacred assembly, and you're going to listen. You're going to listen to my word and hear about my work for you. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. And then there were the dietary restrictions that God had given to them. There are certain things that they were not to eat. Okay? Um, God had uh, certain animals that were unclean. Avoid those. But even if people perfectly followed that command of God, they would still die. Right? So it's not what you don't put into you or do put into your body that causes you to die. It's, it's the fact that it's what comes out of your body that makes you die. What comes out of you. And that's what was followed then by all of these purification rites that God had given to his people. So, for example, if you had a a festering sore that was infected and oozing pus that made you unclean, if you had a baby, it made you unclean. And there are all kinds of restrictions like that or, or laws like that. And that was God's way of saying, it's what comes out of you that makes you dirty in my sight. He wasn't talking about like, like a festering sore. He's talking about what comes out of your heart, what comes out of your hands, what comes out of your mouth. That's what makes you filthy and unclean. And you need washing. But Satan took that law of God and he camouflaged himself in it and turned it into a deadly deception. The law is something that God had given. You shall not work on the Sabbath. But the Jews took that command and said, this is a day where by your rest you are doing a work for God and now you're pleasing God. And you see what he just did there, the devil? Instead of the Sabbath being about God's work for us, it became about people's work for God. And he's trying to lead them to find hope and help and their own activity, their own work. A deadly deception. And then when it came to their sin and their guilt, well, um, you, can, you can cleanse yourself, you can purify yourself. Just go through these rituals. Well, those purification rituals were to point them to another washing that would come not from the work of their hands, but from the work of someone else's hands. And that's what we looked at in Jesus' baptism today, wasn't it? God was saying, this is the one whom I love with him, I'm well pleased Look to him for your washing and your cleansing. But Satan was dangling that that little enticing worm of you can do it yourself and you can feel fulfilled about yourself in front of them so that they would swallow it and he would swallow them. That is human tradition, right? Taking those human traditions and laws. Do you have any of those today? Today? 
How many of you decorated for Christmas this last year? You can raise your hand. Christmas decorations, that's an okay thing, right? And it can be a godly thing. The green Christmas tree reminds us of life during the deadness of winter, and that tree reflects for us the fact that Jesus is our life, right? He is the life of the world. And then the lights we put on the tree remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. He's our Savior. But how would you react if someone who confessed to be a Christian said to you, we don't celebrate Christmas? No decorations, no cookies. In fact, you know, we come to Sunday worship, but we don't come to Christmas Eve services or Christmas Day services. Might you think that's strange? That seems odd, right? But Christmas celebrations are a human tradition. God doesn't command them. But as I prepared this sermon, I asked myself, what would I think about someone who said, I don't celebrate Christmas? I would start to measure myself against them. Well, what kind of a person doesn't celebrate Christmas? What kind of relationship can they have with God if Jesus' birth isn't that special to them? And suddenly I'm measuring my relationship with God and their relationship with God on how we are upholding a human tradition rather than trusting in the word of God. Deadly deception. And then we have the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And here, Paul is really talking about the mindset of the world. Uh, what do you know about the world's mindset? If, if you want to excel at work, then you need to outwork your peers, right? You need to sacrifice more. You need to put in more hours. You need to put, up, put forth better quality performance. If you want playing time on the team, then you better earn it in practice and you better earn it when you get on the court or in the field. It's based on your performance. With the Colossians... They were being taught to look to their own performance, how they measured up in comparison with other people. Okay? And uh, as a result, um, there were some who thought, you know, um, we're doing extra for others. Here's a man whose name was Simeon Stylites. He's an example of trying to do more to outdo everybody else. He lived around 400 A.D. And for 37 years, he lived up on top of a pillar and people would bring him food in a basket, and he'd pull it up. He did this in the name of God. And people revered him because they thought he was doing so much better, so much more, sacrificing so much more than others for the name of the Lord. And, and can you see how that kind of resonates with the world that we're in? think, wow, could you do that? Could you sit up there through the freezing cold at night, through the battering of the rain and the blistering heat of the sun during the summer? Could you sit up there? I, I couldn't do it. I would wimp out. Does that mean somebody like him has a better connection to God than you do or I do? That's where human thought goes. That's the mindset of the world. 
And Paul talked about that, of people um, depriving themselves of, of the things that God has given to us to enjoy. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And there are some groups in, our, in America today who will still forego technology, right? They drive around with horses and buggies and things like that. Because technology can lead to temptation. Well, here's some news. Temptation came before technology, right? Yeah, you might think that if, uh, if you don't have a TV in your house, does that mean you'll be exposed to things that will cause you not to lust? Or may cause, will you be shielded from things that may cause you to lust? Yeah. But are there other ways you can lust? Yeah. Um, the guy driving the horse and buggy can still lust after a woman wearing a bonnet and, and an ankle-length dress, right? Simeon Stylites sitting up there on top of that post. Do you think being up there prevented him from thoughts of greed, of some, having something and wanting something better? But I wish I had a better place to stay in the middle of that rainstorm. Yes. Even amidst the poverty, we still desire more. Greed still comes to us. It still attacks us. We can still lust. Those things, these harsh treatments of the body, do not prevent us from sinning. And guess what? They don't remove the guilt for it either. And that's the deadly deception that Satan puts in front of us, to think that we can deal with our guilt, that we can avoid the sin of our own power by the things we do by setting up our own rules and regulations. And the reason we can't is the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. The problem isn't out there, brothers and sisters. What leads us to sin is in here. It's my own heart that tempts me and leads me astray. It's when I see the things that God has made that are good and, and can be used properly in the world and then turn them for my own evil purposes that they themselves become a, a bad thing. Television's a good thing, right? You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. Think of the blessings of a cell phone. Wonderful gift from God. But you can use it for gossip, Right? But guess what? Gossip existed before cell phones. So it's not about the technology. It's not about those things we try to shut out of our lives. It's about what's in us. And so what's the solution to that? How are we ever going to hope to stand before our God when the evil is in us? Well, here we have these words from Paul. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. In other words, if you don't follow these human traditions, don't let anybody tell you you're going to hell for it. So these are a shadow of the things that were to come. Therefore, do not let anyone tell you what to eat or drink. Oh, this is a double up here. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay, the reality is found in Christ. If your boat capsizes in the lake, and there's four of you and you're all swimming, treading water, and you're farther out than you can swim to shore, and another boat comes to you, which voice are you going to listen to? 
The voices of the other people that are drowning around you or the voice of the person in the boat who's saying, come swim to me. What are you going to reach for? The shadow of the person in the boat who's coming to rescue you or the actual hand of the person who's come to rescue you? The laws of God were meant to be a shadow of Jesus, an outline of who he was and what he would come to do. So that when Jesus came, they would be able to identify him as the Son of God. And so when Jesus was baptized, that was part of that. What did God say? This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the one. And it lined up with everything else in Scripture, that outline of Jesus, born of the Virgin, of the bloodline of David, acknowledged by God at his baptism, suffered, died, and he rose again, all according to the word of Scripture. And Jesus is the one, then, who is the solution to the guilt we've brought on ourselves. He is the one who sets us free. Nothing more needs to be done. He is the reality. And so Paul is saying, let go of the shadow. You can let go of the Sabbath, which says, do, your, do no work today. You can let go of those dietary restrictions. Those are all to help you remember that a helper is coming. Now the helper's here. The rescue is here. Hold on to him. And that's what the Lord is still encouraging you and me to do today. Don't cling to the shadows. Don't cling to, to the traditions. We cling to Jesus. He is the reality. He is the ultimate rescuer. Now let's go back to these words. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. As I told the children, Jesus stepped up to the plate for you and for me, and he never swung and missed. Not even once. What the Word of God reminds us of is that Jesus did not come in order to show us how to step up to the plate and hit the ball. He didn't show us how to obey God. He came to obey God for us. Jesus did not come to be an example of how you can earn God's pity. He came to make it clear that we are pitied by God. He has had mercy on us. And that he has appeased God's anger for us. And through your baptism in Jesus, God says the same thing of you that he spoke to Jesus here. With you, I am well pleased. Because in your baptism, through faith in him, Jesus' obedience is yours. And that's why you can be sure you have a home in heaven. There's nothing you need to do to make God love you. He already does. He already has. There's nothing you need to do to take away any of your guilt. It's all gone. It's permanently eliminated. That, brothers and sisters, is the reality. Don't let Satan deceive you. Continue to hold on to the truth which is Christ himself. Here I have a little scorpion. And uh, one of the things I'll tell you about scorpions is that they have a very painful sting. Maybe some of you have even encountered them in the past. I have a brother and sister who live down in Arizona, and they're quite common there. And you really have to watch out for them because there's an extremely painful sting when that venom gets into you, and you'll be in pain for days. 
Um, but the problem is they, they can hide out in just about anything. They get in your garage and hide under boxes and things like that. They get into the landscape and rocks. And during the day, um, they like to stay under cover. Then they come out at night after dark and you can't see them. And so if you're walking around in the dark and barefoot, uh, that can be a bad encounter. So how are you supposed to deal with scorpions under those situations? Well, there's a little-known fact about scorpions. Um, maybe it's not so little-known by, by those down there, but up here it is. Ultraviolet light, a black light, will cause them to shine iridescent like this, right? So if you go out at night with a black light in one hand and a baseball bat in the other, um, you can locate and dispatch scorpions with ease, okay? So how are we able to identify and locate the deceptions of Satan that he puts before us in order to inject the deadly venom of his lies into our hearts and into our minds. Well, we have the ultraviolet light of God and his word, don't we? We have Jesus Christ. He is the antidote to deception, and so is his word. And it is what you and I are doing here that is exposing Satan and his lies for ourselves, so that we can expose it to others and that we can remain complete in Jesus Christ and join him in the home that he's prepared for us. And so may God bless you as you continue to hold on to Jesus and as you continue to share his word, because in him you are complete. Amen.